turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as our text verse this evening, I'm going to deal with and discuss the false religion of Freemasonry, and uh, I hope tonight that uh, what's said will prepare and Uh, give you what you need to understand what this group is and whether a Christian should be involved in these things or not, Um, that uh, I've had discussions and conversations with people over really the, it's come up more times than I would like to think in the last nine years uh, from people attending the church, from people that desire and want to be uh, members of the church. Uh, and from one that was here and present around and actually was asked by some of the church family, why don't you let him teach here at the church? And I didn't tell anybody the cause or the reason. I just said, I I just can't do that. And so it's something that, although it's not as prevalent maybe as it once was, it is something that we deal with even here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And so I would like to uh, deal with this and... uh, hopefully shed some light on my cause and motivation for it. We've tried to move through the beginning of the service quickly because I do have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, I hope that I don't bore you tonight. I hope that uh, what's shared will be uh, meaningful and presented in an impactful way. I don't expect the altars to be filled up tonight. (laughs) All of you coming down, it's really going to be a lot of information Uh, but I hope it's information that you uh, find valuable and that it helps helps you in maybe just dealing with it yourself as well as uh, dealing with others maybe uh, as you might come across this. Let's read our text for tonight that we will refer to several times as we're going through this, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, we have a very prominent or critical text with regards to what we're going to be dealing with. He says in verse number 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Can we begin with a word of prayer? Lord, we come to you and ask tonight that you would allow me to impart and share the truths that I've studied and learned, and I pray it would be presented in the right spirit and the right attitude, and Lord, I pray that I would be given in the capacity of the means to truly help, Uh, and Lord, I pray it would be presented in the right spirit and with with your power, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the last nine years, as I've said, I've had numerous conversations with many different individuals, some of those in full agreement with what I believe or what I think with regards to uh, this false religion of Freemasonry, and some that have, uh, you know, 
disagreed with me, and we've had some conversations and talked about it, and uh, you know, don't know that I've come to with any of them any uh, mutual ground as we've just discussed this. But it is important that we know uh, what we believe as a church. It's important why we that we know why we do things in our constitution that we have as a church that you guys have read with regards to the statement of faith, there is, with regards to uh, church membership in uh, Article 2, Section 3, uh, we have a small little section that deals with church membership, and I'm sorry, I had mine uh, highlighted, and this one is not. Um, Let's see here, we are... Section 2, all right, this covenant for church membership, um, he says in this covenant for church membership, this is a covenant that we make with one another and with the church as we come in for membership, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on profession of our faith, having been baptized in a manner of our Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, we do now. In the presence of God and the angels in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter a covenant with one another as one in the body of Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, in holiness, in comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, its ordinances, uh, discipline, and doctrines. To give it a sacred preeminence over all other institutions of human origin and to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of this ministry the, and the expenses of the church. So there's a small little statement there that says there that we are going to uphold its discipline and doctrines and to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin. Okay, that in itself comes in direct conflict with the oaths that we'll deal with tonight when we're talking about uh, what a member of the lodge must swear to. Uh, secondly, or it goes on and says, we also engage to maintain uh, family and private devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of the Lord uh, for our kindred and our acquaintances and all others, to walk circumspectly in the world, and to be just in our dealings faithful in our engagements and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all backbiting and excessive anger, to abstain from worldly amusements such as gambling, rock music, dancing, and to be free from all other oath-bound secret societies. Okay, this is the covenant that we have in the Constitution that you say when you come to covenant together as a church uh, that you're saying, okay, I'm in agreement And I will abstain from being joined together with all other oath-bound societies. That's in the Constitution for a specific reason. And I would wish tonight to systematically instruct you. I will do my best to refrain from sarcasm. I'll do my best to refrain from uh, any critical spirit or, or, uh, you know, broad generalities. I wish to impart truth this evening. It is my desire that the next generation have a working understanding of the peril of being involved with or swearing allegiance to a man-made organization such as the Freemasons. 
So we're going to begin this evening with looking at the perils, the perilous deception. The perilous deception. There really is a broad and great deception. Uh, there are many uh, good men who have been or who are part of uh, Freemasonry. Uh, you probably know some. There may be some here tonight. Um, after all, the very motto of the Masons is making good men better. I mean, you look at that and say, wow, this, this is good. We're making good men better. And many join completely unaware of the underlying danger that lurks behind the door. Often men are prompted by good friends or family members to join. Sometimes men join because of monetary gain, because of business advancement, or as we've seen even in our American history, because of political advancement. There has been times where that membership alone is what allowed somebody to be put in office. And those things are very well documented in history. And I'm not going to chase those rabbits, but I want you to know there's often uh, other reasons that people join up. And, and many times it's really, they, ha they don't have an idea as to what it is that they're joining. They may just thought, well, this is going to be good for business. There's a bunch of contacts I, hear, I have here, and I'll be able to you know, work together with these guys, and it's going to be good. But I want you to know that they are duped or they are deceived to believe that all that looks red is rosy. And it's not. It's not. In uh, 1 John 4, 1, the Bible tells us, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. We are, as Christians, supposed to try the spirits. We're supposed to see what is of God. Take, for instance, the motto, making good men better. On its surface, man look at that and say, well, this sounds grand. I mean, this is a good thing, making good men better. But from its onset, the motto itself has a, uh, starts or begins with a false premise. The Bible says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The, the, the premise on the initial thing is that we, are, that we are beginning from a state of good men is problematic for the, for the Christian. Secondly, the only way one is made better is through Jesus Christ, Amen. not a man-made religion of works, which really, as we go through this tonight, some things that I tell you tonight are going to shock you. If, you. if you have never sat through, and I don't know that I have ever in my life sat through a message on, on this alone. I did know what I believed with regards to it. I did have a working understanding and knew in my heart and mind that this is not, not good, but as I had conversations with people, really, I was ill-equipped to uh, refute the claims that were brought to me because I had not done the study or research myself. So I, I as in doing this research for this, as, as I said this morning, it's about four weeks uh, culminating in tonight. And uh, I can't, I didn't want to just tell you, well, this isn't good. You shouldn't be involved in it. Uh, or I heard somebody said and throw out some generalities I, I have for you tonight facts and quotes from their own books and from their own people as to what they believe and what they teach. It is a man-made, works-based religion at its heart. A closing prayer from the Alabama Masonic Ritual says, May we so practice thy precepts in a rigid observance of these tenets of Freemasonry that we may finally obtain thy promise 
and find an entrance through the gates into the temple and that city of our God. This prayer, which is recorded and to be quoted in the conclusion of one of their rituals uh, from the Masonic ritual in Alabama, says, hey, their goal is that they might follow these rituals and these practices in the ultimate goal of achieving entrance into the city of God. And they speak in generalities, which you'll understand why as we go through this tonight. But I want you to know that our means of attaining heaven is only through Jesus Christ. It's not through a strict observance of a set of rituals or a set of even, no matter how lofty or how high the goals are or the standards might be, we can be as good as we want and we cannot earn our own salvation. Amen? Amen. So on the surface, things look wholesome. The priorities seem to be good. It's things like fellowship and loyalty and service, uh, service to others. The Masons, as a group, they support many good causes. There is no question about that. As far as humanitarian things and the idea of, um, as a group, they're very benevolent. I was think, trying to think of the word benevolent. That, that's, they really are. They, they, so many things that they give towards and that they help with regards to the community and the society. And many would look at that and say, well, what can be wrong with that? The problem is, is most people don't know what, it, what they are as a group. They just see the benevolent arm of the Masonic Lodge instead of all that they hold and teach. Some would say, what's wrong with sending my money uh, to that organization if it's going to be used for good causes? I would encourage you to find a different source to send your money to. There are many others uh, that you could give money to that would not further a false gospel. There's a great deception. Paul told Timothy there would come a time when men would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. I have found that masonry as a whole is a very seducing uh, spirit. There's something appetizing there for the heart of man. They, they enjoy the secrecy of it. They enjoy uh, the power that is present for those that uh, excel and grow into higher levels of masonry. Uh, There is something seducing there, seductive, that draws men. They enjoy the brotherhood that is present. And we're going to talk a little more about the brotherhood here in a few minutes. But 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Underneath the benevolent arm and actions of this group, there lies doctrines of devils. At best, it causes men to depart from the faith, and at worst, it causes men to go to hell. This is not something that should be looked at carelessly or thought about as just, oh, it's okay. It's not maybe something we really should embrace or or encourage, but I want you to know it really is a doctrine of devils. It is the responsibility of the church and the pastor to contend for the faith, the faith that was delivered to the saints. Not a perverted faith or a weak faith, but a faith that uh, was delivered to the saints. Can I tell you that there was a day when every single church in America would preach and teach what I'm telling you tonight? There was a day that that's, that would happen, but not today. Let me say that I do not know everything about this order, about this group. I could get some things wrong in my study and research. Maybe the sources that I read or quote tonight will have misspoke or said something incorrect. But here's the thing. 
there's no way that everything that I have, and there is a plethora of information that I'm going to give you, there's no way that all of it's wrong. So there's, there's way more. Maybe I get something incorrect. Maybe I misquote somebody or something. One thing you might be able to pick and say, well, that's not really the, the facts. But there are way more facts that substantiate and hold to what I'm giving you this evening than uh, that one thing you might be able to point to. Let me say this is not meant to be a message against those who are current Lodge members. It's meant to teach the truth. How will men know if they don't have a preacher? How will we know the truth if somebody doesn't, doesn't say it? It's, the goal is to teach the truth and be a help. It's not against them, but it is a clear teaching of the conflict that lies between Freemasonry and the Bible. And if a man or a woman has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and they would look honestly at this topic, I believe that they would honestly discontinue their participation with the masonry, uh, with the Freemasons immediately. For men are either deceived or they are dishonest. Can I tell you that it is their plan to be dishonest? I'm saying it is the plan of the lodge to deceive men. Can I read for you a quote from Albert Pike in his book, Morals and Dogma of Freemasonry, page 819? He says, part of the symbols are displayed there to the initiant. So somebody that's coming to be initiated into Freemasonry says, but he is intentionally misled by false interpretations. It is not intended that he should understand them, but it is intended that he shall imagine he understands them. So he is declaring here that it is, it is in fact, their intention to deceive those that are just coming in, to draw them in and deceive them with what their symbols and what they're teaching and what ultimately all these things are. We're going to deceive them about those until such a time as they're able to handle that truth from their own standpoint. We've had a lodge member attending here for a while. He's since gone on to be with heaven, with, with the Lord in heaven, Brother uh, Elmer Elwood. You would never know a nicer guy. Brother Elwood, I mean, he loved Jesus. He carried his Bible. I mean, he, he, you'd no, never know a nicer guy than Brother Elwood. But I want you to know that as a member of the lodge, I could not have him teach Sunday school here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. I had several people ask me, you know, Brother Elwood, he teaches all over. He, he helps other churches and whatever. Why, why don't you have him teach at Hunt Valley Baptist Church? I just said, I can't. Talk to Brother Elwood, because I didn't understand. And again, I don't know, didn't know everything, but I talked to Brother Elwood about, you know, his embracing of the lodge and how that can, like, I'm just trying to understand it. How can it connect with, with Christianity? There's so much there that does not connect with Christianity. But can I tell you that just because you know a Mason who's a nice guy or who loves the Lord, it does not make what the Lodge teaches or stands for acceptable. It is a system of beliefs that stands against Scripture. 
And when we try the truth or try the spirits to see if they be of God, we must try them against Scripture, not against the personality of somebody we know that goes there. We can't say, well, this is a really nice guy. It must be good. No, we, we, we need to look at Scripture. Some of the nicest people you'll ever meet are Buddhist. But the doctrine, the system of belief that they have is not what you want to embrace. And so we don't embrace the doctrine or system of beliefs that the Masonic Lodge teaches. The Southern Baptist Church has long since given up the fight on this issue. They have on their website a list of eight things that they declare are wholly incompatible between the Lodge and the church. And yet, they say it is fully possible for somebody to be both a sincere Christian and a Lodge member. I'm not sure how that connects. How does that happen? How do you be a sincere Christian and participate in something that has at least eight things that are wholly incompatible with the other? That's like saying your car is incompatible with water. The engine in your car will not run with water. Here's the reasons why. But you can stick water in it. I mean, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But long, long ago, there has been, it's been many, many years ago, in the 50s actually, when the Southern Baptist Church embraced those that were part, and there's many, many Southern Baptist even preachers who are part of the Masonic Lodge. The truth concerning the Lodge has been available for more than 150 years. In 1869, evangelist Charles G. Finney published a book exposing the evils of masonry. In his book, The Character, Claims, and Practical Workings of Freemasonry, he referred to eight other books that had already been published at that time. So what I'm saying is people have known what the Lodge was for a long, long time. The secrecy that's prevalent there obviously is still there today, but it has been exposed. They openly talk about the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. Can I tell you that this is a problem that's incompatible with Christianity? There is not a general brotherhood of man. You are not my brother unless one of two things has happened. First of all, you were born by blood into the, into the family through Roger and Rebecca Bottrell. If you were born by blood into the family, then you're my brother or my sister. Secondly, you could be my brother or my sister if you were born again into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is how you become my brother. But the Masonic Lodge tries to uh, provide a cheap substitute of this brotherhood that's found in the church, in the lodge, and they replace that which God designed and made us to be and to desire and to look for. They replace what should be found in the church in a man-made organization. There is not a general brotherhood of man, neither is there the fatherhood of God, because the Bible teaches that men uh, outside of Jesus Christ are of their father the devil. So let me give you some of their pious demands. You see, there's a demand that all those that partake of their institution or join their institution take many ungodly oaths. 
The Bible teaches in James 5, chapter 12, that above all things, my brethren, swear not. Goes on, says, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. We are cautioned there about swearing, about taking an oath. Well, the very first initiation is a call to light. In the Freemasonry, Freemasonry, there is light is said to be a symbol of knowledge. And knowledge is the chief pursuit of every individual. Every incoming Mason candidate is blindfolded in the first initiation and led to a door. And I don't know if they still do this or not, but I read about this first initiation here. Uh, and I thought about we have a hard time people get, getting people to join the church. How in the world, how in the world do they get people to do this? L- listen, initially what they would do is men, would, they would have to strip down. In their birthday suit before all these other men be, be blindfolded and have a rope put about their neck and led around like a dog. Then they would take them to a doorway and at the doorway here, they, 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 they lead, this man leads this blindfolded man who's being pulled by a rope, rope around his neck up to the door and he's led to the door and made to knock. And when someone on the other side of the door asks, the blindfolded candidate says, um, Mr. Smith or whoever is here. So the, the, the candidate says, who is it that knocks or who comes there? And he says, Mr. Smith. Who has long been in darkness and now seeks to be brought to light and to receive a part in the rights and the benefits of the the worshipful lodge. You hear the words, the terminology that's there. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. In him is no darkness. Men are come to and are brought to the light and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. He is the means of salvation. Light that comes into the heart of man comes through Christ and through his word. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Christians shouldn't be involved in that. At the very least, they have left Christ out of this religious ceremony. At the worst, they're providing a false sense of light outside of Christ and his word. There is a devilish oath of secrecy that is required of them. They are not allowed on penalty of death to break their oath of secrecy. In 1826, Captain William Morgan, a Mason of the Royal Arch Degree, renounced his Freemasonry and wrote the book Freemasonry Exposed. This was a book revealing the Masonic oaths and secrets. He and his publisher were both kidnapped. The Masons killed Captain Morgan. This is... Recorded in history. It is part of history. It is, it is the, the documents, the court documents are still available today from 1826. You can still read the transcripts. The lawyer escaped, or the publisher, I mean, the publisher escaped and ultimately testified in court. And there were many other Masons that actually did, were disenfranchised and left the Mason uh, cult during that time and testified against them. But there's oaths of secrecies that are to be kept. They're to be kept from your mom and from your dad, from your husband, from your wife, from your friend, from your pastor, from anyone who is not a Mason. Listen to a portion of the very first oath. The very first, very first initiation is the first degree of apprenticeship. 
binding myself under no less penalty than that of having my throat cut across, my tongue torn out by its roots, and my body buried in the rough sands of the sea at low water mark, where the tide ebbs and flows twice in 24 hours. Should I ever knowingly or willingly violate this, my solemn oath and obligation as an apprentice mason, so help me God. We've already stated that the Bible clearly says we are not to oath, not to swear oaths. You can write down Matthew 5, 33 through 37. That's another passage of scripture that Christ deals with the swearing of oaths. There is an oath that's required of them that they protect other masons. Many people that get into this are unaware of the the depth of it or the degree of it until they get further and further down. The oath of the royal archmason reads this, and I quote, I will aid and assist a companion royal archmason when engaged in any difficulty and espouse his cause so far as to extricate him from the same if it is in my power, whether it be right or wrong. He's saying, if if a fellow Mason calls you up and says, hey, I just killed my wife, you are duty-bound and sworn by your oath here to go help him cover up that crime. Whether it's right or wrong, you're duty-bound according to your oath that you've taken. It is a commitment that is above everything else in your life, where we as Christians are to be committed first and foremost to God. That we are supposed to be committed to doing that which is right regardless of the consequences. Listen to Edmund's Masonic Handbook, page 183, with regards to this oath of protecting your fellow Masons. He says, you must conceal all the crimes of your brother Mason except murder or treason, and these only at your own opinion. And should you be summoned as a witness against a brother Mason, be always sure to shield him. Prevaricate, which means lie. Don't tell the whole truth. In his case, keep his secrets. Forget the most important points. It may be perjury to do this, but it is true. But keep your... But by keeping your obligations, and remember, if you live up to your obligations strictly, you shall be free from sin. This is the, I'm quoting from the handbook of the Masonic Masonic Handbook, page 183, written by Edmund Roman. So, in my reading, people have said these are very early Promises when you get further up, when you get to the Royal Arch and 32nd and 33rd degree, the promises they've removed that with regards to murder and rape out of the quote. So you are required to cover that even. The Master's Mason's Oath, he says, Binding myself under no less of a penalty than that of having my body severed in twain, my bowels taken from thence and burned in ashes, the ashes scattered to the four winds of heaven so that no more trace may be found or remembrance may be had of so vile and perjured wretch as I, should I ever knowingly or willingly violate this, my solemn oath and obligation as a Master Mason. These are terrible oaths that they're required to take. Jim Shaw, who became a 33rd degree Mason, described his taking of the oath. 
He said the initiation consisted of two parts. The first was one in which we acted out. The second was one where we took the oath repeating after him. With all of this, the candidates together repeated and sealed the oath. They said, may we with this wine that I now drink, may this wine that I now drink become a deadly poison to me, as deadly as the hemlock juice drunk by Socrates, should I ever knowingly or willingly violate the same. Then the oath was sealed by drinking wine out of a human skull. These are not random people. These are not critics of Freemasonry that are just trying to shoot arrows over the bow. These are actual people that were Masons that went through these and came out of it and said, this is what it is. There is a demand there present to refer to or call the leadership by names that are reserved for Christ alone. The lodge leader is called the worshipful master. The worshipful master Matthew 23.10 says, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. You know, if a church, if Hunt Valley Baptist Church started saying, Okay, you need to call Pastor Caleb worshipful master. (laughs) You need to call him master anything. It would make the news. You know, I mean, they'd be like, what in the world? You talk about, you know, Lord and over the flock. And you talk about, I mean, this, this stuff. And yet... It, it is present and part of this that he's referred to and called worshipful master. Men can reach a degree uh, of the uh, lodge in which they were referred to or called the high priest. They're called a high priest. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed unto the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Jesus is the high priest. Amen. That's Hebrews 4.14 if you're taking notes. There is one leader which is referred to as the potentate. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.15 says, Which in his times he shall sow, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So they're, they're calling and referring to people, a part of the organization, with names that really should be referred, re- reserved and kept for Jesus Christ himself. Right. Lastly, this evening, we have some pretentious declarations. There's some things that they say that really aren't true. There's some things that they would declare or they would try if you talk to them or as they've talked to me. There's some things that I've been told that as I studied, I found not to be the case. I've had several conversations where they said, listen, Freemasonry is not a religion. That's what I've been told by people that are part of Freemasonry. And yet... Can I quote for you Albert Mackey, who wrote the Encyclopedia on Freemasonry? He was a 33rd degree Mason. He's written extensively about Freemasonry, including the Encyclopedia on Freemasonry. He says, not, not only, this is not a quote. But not only does he say it is a religion, he said it is meant to supersede Christianity. That's not a quote, but let me read for you what he says here. Albert Mackey said, The truth is that Masonry is undoubtedly a religion, or I'm sorry, undoubtedly a religious institution. That's on page 133, Masonry defined. It is undoubtedly a religious institution. He goes on to say on page 619, 
The religion of masonry is not sectarian. It admits men of every creed within its hospitable bosom, rejecting none and approving none for his particular faith. It is not Judaism, though there is nothing to offend the Jew. It is not Christianity, though there is nothing in it repugnant to the faith of a Christian. I beg to differ with the simple cursory uh, look we've taken tonight at Freemasonry. I hope that you would see there's some things that are repugnant to the faith of a Christian. It's religion, I go on quoting, he says, it's religion is that general one of nature and a primitive revelation handed down to us from some ancient and particular priesthood in which all men may agree and none may differ. So if it's not a religion, could you tell me why do they meet in temples? If it's not a religion, can you answer me why they have altars? If it's not a religion, tell me why do they have a holy book? And they do call it and refer to it as a holy book. Some may have a Bible. I was having a conversation with somebody that was attending Hunt Valley Baptist Church many years ago. And he said, Masonry is, is Christian. We have the Bible right down front on the altar. It's central to our practices. Yes, it may be in front. I'm not sure about his particular lodge, but can I tell you that many lodges have the Bible down front. They have the Koran down front. They have the Jew, Jewish uh, Tanaka down front. The Bible is sitting there on the altar. It is called the Book of the Law, and it's one of the lights, one of the three lights that they look to to guide men into all truth. The three lights are the holy book, then they have the square and the compass. Those things that guide men in their lives. Mackey in his Encyclopedia of Masonic Truth in page 152 says this, Hutchison and Oliver, I am constrained to believe, have fallen into great error in calling the master's degree a Christian institution. If, a mason, if masonry were simply a Christian institution, the Bremen, the Muslim, the Buddhist could not conscientiously take part in its illumination. But its universality is its boast. In its language, citizens of every nation may convene. At its altars, all religions may kneel. And to its creeds, every faith may subscribe. Can I tell you that Christianity has a problem with that? There's only one God. There is only one mediator between God and man. There are not many gods. And there are any Christian that can gather together and, and coexist and say, oh, we're all, we all believe the same thing with the, with the people mentioned there. Do not understand what their faith is about. Again, this is not unobstantiated, uninformed critics of Freemasonry. This is their own words. He goes on and says, The Bible is properly called a greater light of Masonry. From the center of the lodge, it pours forth upon the east, the west, and the south, reflecting rays of divine truth. The Bible is used among, many, among Masons as a symbol of the will of God. So, so far, it hasn't been too bad. But listen to the rest of this. However, it may be expressed, and therefore, how I read that did not give good insight. He says, the Bible is used among Masons as a symbol of the will of God, however it may be expressed. 
So what he's saying is however you look at it, it's okay. And therefore, whatever to any people expresses that will of God may be used as a substitute for the Bible. So that book that maybe in this particular lodge has the Bible sitting down there as a lodge as a whole, they teach you can pick or choose whatever book of higher learning or education you like and stick it down there as a means of guiding you and giving you light for your life. The lodge exists, the lodge, he goes on, he says, the lodge existing entirely of Jews may wish to only have the Old Testament placed on the altar. Turkish Masons may use the Koran, whether it be the gospel to the Christian or the Pentateuch to the Israelite or the Koran to the Muslim, the Bada to the Brahmin, it everywhere Masonically conveys the same idea, the symbol of the divine will revealed to man. So it's a symbol of God's divine will and whatever you want that symbol to be, it's okay. But there's only one Bible. There's only one word of God. The Bible is not a light, it is the light. It is a lamp to my, to, to my feet and a light to my path. Dear friend, this teaching brings the precious word of God down to the level of any other book that's available that you may enjoy. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I have written unto you are the commandments of the Lord. The Bible tells men what to do and what is right and what is wrong. Men don't get to just determine, oh, there are people that want to do what's right in their own eyes. But the Bible's to guide us. That, my friend, is how Gerald B. Gardner could be a Mason. Can I tell you what fellowship hath with light, light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Gerald B. Gardner was the first public witch of modern times. He is responsible for introducing Wicca to mainstream society in 1954. He was a practicing Mason. In most Wicca covens, there is some form of initiation. There are degrees of advancement. There are initiations that are symbolic of a rebirth, whether men or women where they may pledge themselves to the gods of their own path. You see, there's several things that are involved in Wicca, which is the witches group of people, and I don't remember the, what does it stand for? Does anybody know Wicca? The, all of the words, it's an acronym, I believe, but I don't remember what it is, but you guys know what that is, right? Well, what I'm saying is Gerald B. Gardner as a practicing witch, felt very good being a part of the Masonic Lodge and took a lot of what he, what he used there and brought it into the faith of Wicca. What fellowship hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? How is it that a Christian can say, oh, it's fine for me to be part of this, but that at the same time, somebody who worships Satan and follows the devil 
says, oh, it's good for me to be a part of that. Those two things don't go together. There's a problem there. Not only do they meet in temples or have an altar and have a holy book, they have prayers and they have deacons and they have worship. One of the primary purposes of Freemasonry is worship. That fact is very clearly stated in the declarations and principles uh, contained on page 37 and 39 of the Indiana Monitor of Freemasons Guide. It is part of their worship. Now, do they worship God? No, they worship whatever you want to call God. They call it, the Masons call it, the great architect of the universe. The symbol that they've chosen to represent their God is the all-seeing eye, which the Egyptians used to represent their pagan god, Osiris. That all-seeing eye. Now, you've seen the Masonic symbol with the, uh, with the square and the compass and the G in the middle. So, the G, yeah, the G is, some, some would say, well, that represents God. But from a Mason's point of view, that represents the great architect of the universe, and that can be whoever you want it to be. As an individual, it doesn't matter what you, you want to call it God, call it God. You want to say it's the devil, call it, call it Satan. You're a Satan worshiper, it's, it represents, it's whoever you believe the great architect of the universe is. They would declare that they love and follow God, but it's not the God of the Bible. They would declare that the scriptures are central to their practices, but it's any book that you want to use to lead you into greater understanding for your life that you want to pursue. There are many individual lodge members who love Christ, but if that's the case, they should take note of how often the name of Christ is not just left out of ceremonies, but restricted from ceremonies. Although the Bible tells us that we are to pray in Jesus' name, they're not allowed to pray in Jesus' name in the lodge. Can I read for you Edmund Rand's uh, Masonic handbook, handbook, page 74? He says, when a brother reveals any of our great secrets, or whether, for instance, and he lists several secrets that I left out of here because he names a bunch of stuff, and then I, I just, it's just, the paragraph just goes on, and he says, whenever a minister prays in the name of Christ in any of our assemblies, You must always hold yourself in readiness if called upon to cut his throat from ear to ear. This is not broad generalities. This is not a, hey, this is not a good thing. I'm telling you, according to the Masonic Handbook, this is what they're saying, that you should be ready to be called upon if somebody prays in the name of Jesus. And yet some would want to say, hey, it's a Christian organization. But if you're going to pray in the name of Jesus, according to this, those that have taken the covenant should be ready to cut your throat. They practice and exercise faith, but it's not faith in God. The symbolism of the master's degree as we now have it, and I'm reading now from John Hartley's company, the Masonic Bible, page 10 and 11. He says, the symbolism of the master's degree as we now have it is necessarily restricted to the first temple and to the present life, although it reaches a climax in the assurance of a future life. All without the aid of the Bible, God, Jesus Christ, or the church. 
So they're going to say this is a Christian organization, but he's saying here, according to the Masonic Bible, page 10 and 11, that you can, as a master's degree, achieve, climax this achievement in assurance of your future life, all without the aid of the Bible, God, Jesus Christ, or the church. It obviously is not true. The lamb skin that's worn during the ceremonies that are taken is not representative of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. The Masonic ritual, although some would say that, the Masonic ritual, uh, according to uh, the page number 17 of a book with a big long title here, the, the lamb has in all ages been deemed to be an emblem of innocence. The lamb skin is therefore to remind you of that purity of life and rectitude of conduct which is so essential and necessary to your gaining admission into the celestial lodge above. So the lambskin that they wear is something that's supposed to remind them. They wear, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but they have a small lambskin that they wear around and, and they hang down. Uh, but it is to remind them of the innocency of life and the right type of spirit or attitude that they're supposed to have, the conduct they're supposed to have, that is necessary to gain admission into the celestial lodge above where the supreme architect of the universe presides. The supreme architect. Again, not God, not the God of the Bible, but the supreme architect of the universe and whoever that is that you want it to be. We all know that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not through these human means. Again, this is just a cursory look. At this topic, there's so much more available and out there today uh, on, on this. But this is why it says in our Constitution that to be a member of Hunt Valley Baptist Church, you are agreeing not to partner with or to uh, be bound to any other oath bound organizations because we are to be bound to Jesus Christ Amen. and Him alone. My goal tonight has just been to contend for the faith. As we are told in Jude 1, verse number 3, to earnestly contend for the faith. This is not near the problem it once was. From my research in the 50s, over half of America belonged to the lodge. It's not near that. They, they, their, their records, I looked at their current records, they're down 75% from there. So it's not near the problem it was. But even here in our small church, it's something that we've faced. People have come and they've wanted to be a member of the church, but they're a member of the lodge, and that's a problem. And here is why. So if, it comes, if we come across it or you see it or whatever, and you say, well, I don't understand. He's a nice guy. Uh, but you can't. Can you tell me why would their oath to that organization be more important than their membership to the Lord's church? Why would they be so bound to that that if I said, hey, you know what? We'd love to have you as a membership. You just have to reject your, your oath that you've made to the lodge and we'll accept you. They would rather walk away from the church that they believe God wants them in than to do that. To me, that says there's a problem. And it's happened more than once in the last nine years. So this is something that we do face. 
and especially the younger generation. I just wanted them, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about this, the Masonic Order, and, and there's a lot of things where it gets tied into movies, and there's some interest there. It is seductive, the power that's present. I just want to warn the younger people, the next generation, you know, hey, it's not something that we should be as Christians should be involved in. You want to be, stay away from it. 